Audi. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast with me, your host, Lisa Francesca Nand. One murky afternoon in 2001, station manager Mark Smith found himself at London's Marlebone Station browsing the bookshelves for something to read on his train journey home. The Teach Yourself HTML guide he bought led to the creation of what's now considered the king of online train guides, the man in seat 61. This episode comes with a warning, however. After listening, you might just find yourself booking a ticket and heading off because Mark Smith has the most incredible train journey stories from far and wide and is with us now on the Big Travel Podcast. The website has become one of the most popular resources for train travel and advice and information and even getting your timetables and ticketing information. Did you ever envisage the popularity when you started it? Absolutely not. I, I bought a, a home PC and I can remember my brother saying, what are you going to do with that? So here we are, 15 years on, it's my full-time job and it gets up to a million visitors every month. A million visitors every up month? Up to a million, yes. That is shocking. And where, where are they coming from? All over the world? Or well, the 30% UK? of the UK, but we've got 20% from North America, 10 to 12% from Australia and New Zealand, and then there's a long tail of sort of Asia, Africa, uh, and other European countries. Those are crazy numbers. And you, you started, you're, you're, a rail, you're a rail guy. I don't want to say you're a rail geek, but I'm saying this because I am a bit of a traffic and transport geek. As I told you, I was a traffic reporter before I was a travel journalist, and I'm obsessed with trains and also the roads and all of that sort of information. But you started in trains. You had a proper grown-up job. What was that grown-up? Yes, I, I used to have a real job indeed. I worked for British Rail back in the 1990s. I was the station manager for Charing Cross, London Bridge and uh, Cannon Street. I ended up at the Department of Transport heading a small team that manages fares and ticketing regulation. Um, the website was started purely as a hobby. It was something I tapped away on the laptop on the train to work. It actually started from an evening at Marylebone Station, a very dark autumn day, when I ran out of uh, anything to read on the train home, walked into WH Smith's. There on the shelves was a Teach Yourself HTML book. HTML is the language that the websites are written in. £2.95 it cost me, quite possibly the best £2.95 I have ever spent in my life. I got managed to get a page online and I thought, well, I know exactly what I want to do with this. It's, it's much easier than most people think to take the train from the UK to Spain, Italy, Morocco, Greece, Prague, Budapest, wherever. But it had become almost impossible to find anyone in the commercial world, meaning the transport industry or the travel industry, who would tell you how to do it. 
because the travel industry tends to want to sell you flights, flights, car hire and more flights. And the train industry tends to, each company tends to concentrate on its own little bit. No one was saying, this is how you do it. This is the big picture. This is how you go from London to Rome, London to Barcelona, London to Lisbon. And I thought I'd be a bit subversive and I put that information online because I could. And here I am, you know, 15 years later, and it is, it's become a career uh, as, as well as a mission. So why seat 61? Ah, well, you see, it became a bit of a tradition that I'd treat myself to first class on Eurostar when I was heading off to Moscow, Vladivostok and Tokyo, Paris, Madrid, Morocco, or to the Ukraine and the Crimea. And I always wanted the best seat that lined up nicely with a window, one of a table for two. And I looked at the plan and I thought, that's the best one, I'll have that one. And it just became a tradition, seat 61 every time. So you were travelling when you had this the proper job as the station, was it station master? Station, station manager. Station yeah. manager at these very large London train stations where millions of people come through and out every day. I'm assuming, is it millions or hundreds of thousands? I think Charing Cross had about 400,000. Oh, crumbs. Oh, I can't even remember the period now, a, but a it, lot was a lot. it was a lot. We watched them go through. <laughs> yes. If we a managed to get them home, that was a good night. So you were, yeah, it's indeed. So you were travelling off just for fun, were you at this point? These, these were breaks. These were holidays. I mean, yeah, a bit of a busman's holiday or railman's holiday, <laughs> if you like. But that's when I accumulated, of course, all the the knowledge. Not just from there, because I did have a university job, and that was working for a company called Transalpino in Buckingham Palace Road, which issued European train tickets. Now it's a very different world now than it was then, but I certainly cut my teeth on the other side of the counter issuing European train tickets to travellers and travel agents. Now when I was at university it was a big deal, well, the people who could afford it, interrailing was a big thing and I hear less and less about it these days, I couldn't afford to do it there and then but I did go off and do a lot of, of train journeys, you know, sort of separately, some very long ones. But are people still going into railing? Does that still exist? They are. In fact, not only exists, but uh, way back it used to be just for people under 26 years of age. Well, now it's for anyone because they do an adult pass and a senior pass and children's pass, as well as the youth pass, which is now for anyone under 28. So they still exist and they're still great value and they still allow you to travel all around Europe with the freedom to explore at an affordable price. Now, of course, you might want to buy cheap train tickets because that might be the better option but if you want the real freedom to just travel around at your own pace spend a little bit longer in one place if you like it move on if you don't then an interrail is a really good idea what do you think is so appealing to many of us about train travel well first of all you get to see where you're going i mean that's that's the first thing these days travel is about putting yourself in a flimsy aluminium tube hurtling through the air you teleport you're not actually really traveling are you let's face it with a train, you see where you're going. You experience the rivers, the mountains. You travel across the surface of the earth. You reach the sea, you travel across the sea. It's real. And the second thing is, train travel treats you like a human being. You're not expected to spend 20 hours in a seat, unable to move your elbows, unable to move your legs. You can sleep in a bed. You can have your own room. You can eat in a restaurant with a proper knife and fork on a white tablecloth. You can stand up and walk around. It treats people like people. So it's actually an enjoyable experience. And that's really the thing, isn't it? Journeys aren't just about getting you from A to B. They should have an intrinsic value. It's about the journey. I'm, I'm a huge fan of train travel, and my longest train journey was from Istanbul to London. We took six days, I think, and actually the first leg, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with, was, I think it was 36 hours, and there was no food or anything on there from Istanbul to Budapest, would it be? It was a long train journey. It was 
wonderful. You know, we got woken up in the middle of the night to cross borders and get our passports out. And, you know, these are things that we're not used to borders in the sort of closer European countries at the moment when you when you cross them. It was an, an incredible journey. But if you were to recommend one particular train journey in Europe, first of all, what do you think is the best journey? The best do? train journey? Oh, gosh, I've got a list. OK, if I had to pick one. Well, the first one, very close to home, the Caledonian Sleeper from London to Fort William. As someone who used to work in London, the ability to leave like, central London on a Friday night in a little private travelling hotel with lounge car with half a dozen different types of whiskey on offer, haggis, tatties and neeps in the lounge car, your own bed, and then to wake up in the West Highlands with deer bounding away from the train. I mean, it's an absolutely fantastic experience. It's amazing you can do that for, I think, 185 quid, something like that, with your own room. If we want to go outside Britain into mainland Europe, then I think one of the standouts is the Benina Express. Narragage train in Switzerland, panoramic carriages, absolutely superb alpine scenery. What sort of costs are we talking about? Because you mentioned the 185 quid, which is actually really cheap, that you're not spending a night in a hotel. So that is your hotel, the, the sleeping. So actually it works out as really good it's, value. It's a room for the night. The European sleeper trains, are they quite good value as well? Well, a typical sleeper, let's take an Austrian night jet from Cologne to Vienna or Vienna to Rome. Uh, you can get a, a couchette, which is a basic bunk in a shared room, for as little as 59 euros. If you want uh, a bed in a two-berth sleeper, it starts at 99 euros. And if you want a single bedroom all to yourself, that starts at 139 euros. So compared with the price of a hotel and hundreds of miles of travel, that's not a bad deal. So what's been your furthest journey? You mentioned there Tokyo, did you? Have you been to very far on train journeys? Well, the I mean, let's face it, the Trans-Siberian Railway is the granddaddy of the lot, isn't it? And I've been on it a couple of times. The first was back Back in 91 when I travelled to Hong Kong. So I left what was then London Victoria on a boat train and a channel steamer and believe it or not there was a direct sleeping car from Ostend on the other side of the channel all the way to Moscow run by Russian Railways. Changed there for the twice weekly uh, Moscow Beijing Express and was then able to catch a train to Quanzhou and Hong Kong and that took me about 10 days. The second time, I took the Brussels-Moscow sleeping car and the Moscow-Vladivostok train. Now, this was a very different experience. Six days from Moscow to Beijing, lots of Westerners, different scenery through Mongolia with the Gobi Desert, camels, the mountains of China. That was great fun. That was like almost a party all the way. Moscow-Vladivostok is seven days of Siberia. Now, I have to admit, even I was going slightly stir-crazy by the time we got into Vladivostok. The best bit was actually the uh, ship from Vladivostok to Niigata in Japan. Took two nights and a day. Uh, I was the only Westerner on board the train, and the very nice blonde lady in the reception would do personalised announcements in English for me after the Russian ones in the sexiest James Bond Russian accent ever. Mr. Smith, your meal is now ready in the restaurant. Bon appétit. That is etched on my memory. I'd be worried if it was poisoned or something, <laughs> if it was like a, was a, a James Bond-esque thingy. How does it feel to travel all the way over land? You know, you can really feel like you're travelling. Well, do you know, I've, I've taken long-haul flights where I've been unable to move for 15 hours and I've arrived tired in a bad mood, almost depressed. When I arrived in Japan on that ship, having made it all the way from Waterloo, it was hot, it was humid, I hadn't brought any Japanese currency, and there was no ATM at the port, so I had to walk to the station, which was about two miles, and a sort of freeway and liquor store environment. And I was grinning from ear to ear, and every so often I'd see a road sign with Jap Japanese characters saying Tokyo that way, and I would all burst out laughing. That is the feeling you get when you arrive somewhere, you've actually made the effort to get somewhere. And like human beings, value things when they make a bit of effort. 
more than if they're just handed to them on a plate. And I think that's, that's, that's the case. That's why the journey matters, not just the destination. It's almost like delayed gratification I was reading about the other day. Like if you, have a, if you really want a glass of wine on a Tuesday, but you wait until Friday, that glass of wine is much nicer than if you've actually waited for it and earned it in a way. Do you think it's a similar sort of thing with I think sort of train it, it, journey? I think it could well be. But of course, you've not only worked for it, you've seen the landscape change, you've seen the time zones change. It isn't just teleporting, you're here one day, somewhere else in a few hours' time. What do you think it, is it about us, about humans? Do you think it's some sort of nomadic instinct that makes us want to travel and particularly want to travel if we remind ourselves that we want to travel overland in that way. Well it's a bit like the famous saying of the mountaineer, why did you climb the mountain because it's there and it isn't just about being at the summit, it's about climbing the mountain and then reaching the summit, it's the same principle, something very very deep in all of us. What's been your worst experience on the trains and I don't mean <laughs> being delayed outside Charing Cross on a well, wet there Monday is that. morning. There is that. Um, <laughs> traveling funnily enough field. some of the worst experiences turned out to be the best. I can remember waiting for the air conditioned express from Aswan to Luxor and it was an hour and a half late. A slow train came in, second and third class, and I thought it's, it's going to Luxor, I'm going to get on it. It was filthy, it was broken down, glass was cracked, doors were hanging open. The scenery along the Nile is absolutely fantastic and there's no air conditioned sealed windows between you and it. And then some school kids got on and kept peeping over the seat at me until the bravest came down, sat next to me, got out his English book, and I had to read the English phrases in his English book. They got off thinking it was the greatest journey to school they ever had, I think. And a young chap came on, about 18, and his opening line was, I like whiskey. You like whiskey? Turned out that he was a barman on one of the Nile cruise boats, and he was bemoaning the fact that he quite liked whiskey and couldn't get it in his, his, his village. So getting that sort of experience on what initially I'd thought, oh heck, this is a bit of a rundown, slow journey. Sometimes the worst journeys can turn out to be the best. What other challenges have you encountered along the way? Well, I've been to Syria twice before the war, the first time. On the spur of the moment, I thought, I'll just buy a ticket for this weekly through carriage from Istanbul to Aleppo in Syria. And by the time it, the following day it got detached and run into, from the rest of the train and run on its own into Syria, I thought, why have I done this? What am I doing? I was pacing up and down in an empty compartment, a dusty, empty, dirty compartment, thinking, what have I done? Like a caged tiger. The locomotive engineer came to talk to me and said, would you like to come into the cab? So I ended up doing the rest of the run to Aleppo with Abdullah and Sami of Aleppo Depot. Uh, he apologised for the state of the track. We were doing sort of 40 kilometres an hour. And he said, oh, for the next 10 kilometres, 30 kilometres an hour, bad track. And it was absolute delight with them. And that's one reason, that's one reason I'm trying to use the website to, to collect for UNICEF and the Syrian children campaign, because having been there, I thought the Syrians were the nicest, most hospitable people I've ever met. And having you know, experienced that, it makes the tragedy of Syria all the more, um, it brings it home to me. It really does, doesn't it? And it was top of my list of places I wanted to visit just before the war. And I, it's, it really felt like Syria was just about to start really opening to tourism and really embracing visitors, a bit like Jordan has next door. And then it completely, obviously, went, went completely wrong for them. There are some fantastic sites there. I mean, Crack de Chevalier is one of the most brilliant castles. You could almost imagine it still being used for the knights in armour, and it's, it's a great show. What do you think is the most picturesque journey that you've, you've been on? Well, this is, another, this is another great value train trip, actually. 20 euros gets you an all-day train ride from Belgrade to Bar in Montenegro. 
on the Adriatic. And that journey takes you up on a line that was only opened in 1976. It's actually quite recent. But the scenery, the, the arid, rocky mountain scenery, which you see from a huge height, the railway climbs right up amongst the mountains, not just down in the valley, but right up, is absolutely spectacular. Well, if you can imagine something like a picturesque valley in Wales, only expanded to ten times the size with the mountains umpteen times the height, just leaning out the window and just watching that go past, it's, it's incredible. You must meet some incredible people and you've touched on that a little bit. And that's one of the joys of such travel is that you actually get to sit and chat to people and then they get off and then you can sit and chat to someone else. Has there been anyone that's, uh, that's really stood out? I've met loads of people over the years. The Trans-Siberian Railways, and I met a chap called Richard and... Uh, he turned out to have been the record, chief record librarian of EMI Records, who explained that he only got the job because he was the only person left who knew how the reference system worked and could find anything. Now, I think he'd taken Kate Bush out to dinner, so we all quizzed him eagerly about that. And we got talking to Jeremy, who was on his first trip on his own, any distance away from home. Richard and I both had inflatable globes. Do you remember Michael Palin having that inflatable globe? Well, we both had them. We convinced Jeremy that there was a guy selling them further down the train. So we rather nastily, I think, sent him off to go and find one. But there we go. Uh, all good fun on the Trans-Siberian Railway, like a party all the way it was on the Moscow-Beijing route. What are you doing for food? Because someone told me once that you're sort of buying things from trackside vendors. How does that work? Well, you can. You can buy them from lots of kiosks and vendors on the trackside. Or there's a dining car, which isn't bad. And Misha had the ham and eggs on the moment I walked in. He knew what I liked. Then you have an outer Mongolian dining car for the section across the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. So you better like mutton and rice, not a lot else on the menu. And then you're going to China. And if you're lucky, you get one of the nice Chinese dining cars with rather good Chinese food, actually. Although I have to say that they're brand new high-speed trains, whilst beautifully fast and sleek and shiny, have gone for the microwaved plastic version. So, uh, yeah, it's happening even in China. Coming back to the UK for a little bit, I think it's such a shame that our railways were decimated. There were so many more of them. Was it the Beeching Report? Was it Beeching? Back in the 60s, the Beeching Report. The Beeching yes. Report, where some guy called Beeching, if people don't know, went around and recommended that we closed about God knows how many stations and how many lines because the car, the automobile, was the future. And well, at that the time, as well. they thought the car was the future. And, and, and it is the future, unfortunately. Well, they didn't know that congestion way. would grow and it would become a problem and the railways would turn out to have a second golden age because we've doubled passenger numbers since 1995. Well, we're carrying twice the number of passengers we did 20 years ago. And in fact, we're carrying more passengers now than we did after the First World War when the network was twice the size. Do you have any hopes that some of these old lines, I mean, some of them are being used for beautiful things, their walkways and the old stations are being converted into for other uses, but there are these tiny, glorious stations and these other parts of the country that could be really opened out and sort of reduce the traffic from the road as well. And do you have any hopes that there might be a change of heart and some of those old stations and old some lines them, will be looked at. Some of them definitely. In hindsight, we could really do with now. I mean, for example, the Lake District, traffic is a huge problem. There used to be a line from um, Penrith to, and I've forgotten the name of the place of it now, routes like that that accessed a particular place that uh, has a traffic problem. There were lines that, uh, I mean, for example, we're re reopening the east-west rail. The Oxford to Cambridge rail was closed. Now it's a key corridor. Oxford, Milton Keynes, Bedford, Cambridge. We're putting that back. So yes, there is a real hope. It's actually happening here and there. So you travel very far and wide on trains. Where have you felt most, that it's felt most foreign and a little bit uncomfortable. Well, of course, I quite like it's foreign. I mean, it's when you travel, differences cease to be scary 
and start being interesting. And that's why it's been said that, that travel kills racism, because once you travel, you meet people, you realise that we're pretty much all the same, but we've got differences, and they're not scary. They're fascinating. They're, they're what makes different cultures different. I think, I think that feeling goes after a while, and you actually revel in the differences. I mean, you go places like Burma, Myanmar, I w went there, and it was like stepping back in time, certainly a railway context, because all the signalling was semaphore, red and white semaphores, mock Tudor signal boxes. It was, it was like sort of Britain in the 1950s in, on a very hot summer. That juxtaposition of familiarity and tropical difference was quite weird, quite interesting, you know, especially for me as a railwayman. I always think that the idea of going somewhere often seems a bit more intimidating than when you're actually there, because like you said, when you arrive somewhere, even that you have this preconceived idea that it's going to be a bit difficult and people are people and you soon realise, and that's exactly what you said about travel, helping combat prejudice, is that when you travel, you realise that we're just all the same the world over. There might be different customs and traditions, but people just want to generally, on a whole, get on with their lives and get by. Oh yeah, I mean, thinking about, thinking and worrying about do, doing something is, is always much scarier than actually getting to grips with it and dealing with it because most of the time the imagined problems don't arise. I sometimes think these review sites where you read reviews don't help because my view is that Travel Forum, for example, should inspire you to do to get out of your comfort zone and should give you the confidence and the knowledge to do it and do it safely. But often they're used for people to leave nasty reviews about this or that when something's gone wrong or to warn people about pickpockets or whatever. And if you read these reviews and they're all oh, there's pickpockets there, oh, it's really scary. They'd probably say that about your own hometown that you wouldn't give a thought to. So sometimes I think you have to read the reviews with a pinch of salt. Read The Lonely Planet or The Rough Guide that, that advises you about travel safety. Check the Foreign Office advice. Be sensible, be aware, but don't take all these these reviews to heart. Just put them in context. What's your greatest American train journey? Oh, well, that's easy. I've crossed the States coast to coast six times by rail and once by road. And without a shadow of a doubt, the best of the Amtrak transcontinental trains is the California Zephyr from Chicago to the San Francisco area. It's a two-day, two-night journey. It'll take you across the Mississippi, across the flatlands of Nebraska. Breakfast is served as you leave Denver the next morning and scale the east face of the Rocky Mountains. It'll take you through the Rockies. It flattens out into the river canyons of Colorado. You're running right next to the Colorado River. The rafters on the river will salute the train in the traditional manner. And my little son at the time, I think he was about four, uh, had never come across the concept of mooning before. And it was explained <laughs> to him and he thought it was the best thing ever. After Colorado, you've got uh, the strange and eerie multicoloured buttes of Utah. You've got the Nevada desert. And it doesn't stop there because once you get into California, you've got the Sierra Nevada. You go through the Donner Pass where the Donner Party was infamously stranded and resorted to cannibalism before you arrive in the Bay Area. And you can do that right. You can go coast to coast for as little if you book well in advance and just use a seat for 185 US dollars. I don't even like want to, I'm a bit scared about asking about the mooning, but who is mooning at who? <laughs> My son wasn't mooning at them nowadays. The rafters, the rafters were burying their bottoms on the on the river at the train goes past. I mean, it be, beats throwing stones at the train, isn't it? Just is moon that tradition? It. Is that what they do? They all that, did it. They, they all did, did it. it. Yeah, every time. Well, one or two didn't, and my my son Nate was very disappointed when the next group of rafters, rafters refused to moon. But uh, yeah, 
Have you found out why? Is this a tradition or is it just some rowdy stag party that happened to be there? It could well be. I don't know. I just looked out the window and one after the other, we were all greeted by a set of moons on every raft or every other raft. We've got a lot of listeners in the States. Where is it? Let's see if we can find out if anyone uh, knows the tradition. Somewhere between Salt Lake City and Denver. Somewhere between Salt Lake City and Denver. If you are on a raft and you see a train going by and you have the urge to pull your pants down, can you tell us why? Because we have no idea. We'd like to know. We're very innocent Brits here. We'd like to know what the reason is for that. What other standout rail journeys would you recommend? Oh, so we've done the Belgrade Bar, um, Mm. the Benina and the Caledonian Sleeper, and we've done the California Zephyr. Well, just about anything in Burma is fantastic. And there are a couple of great little routes. One of them is what I call the slow train from Tarzi, that links Tarzi, which is on the main Mandalay Rangoon line, with Inlay Lake, which is a major tourist draw. And this line is very rural, single track, it twists, it turns, it heads up into the hills. At some point there's a switchback where the train actually goes forward and then back and then forward and back to sort of steadily climb the the hillside. The trains are not air-conditioned, the windows are wide open, there's a cool breeze coming in. You recline luxuriantly in your seat, you haven't got any choice, the recline mechanism is broken. (laughs) And you eat the food that the vendor provides, They, they bring fruit down the train and what a fantastic experience for four dollars. Oh, that sounds incredible. Honestly, you're making me just want to get on a train and go. But now I've got school age kids. I don't know about you, but um, my wings are a little bit clipped by that. Well, I've got kids. I mean, what are they now? They're 10 and uh, 12 and they love travel, particularly my son, who gets very upset if I go anywhere on business and don't take him. We've taken them across the Atlantic on the Queen Mary 2. We've taken them across the States. They absolutely loved it. I take Nate sometimes on trips that I do by train. He's, he's got thoroughly used to that. In fact, I think I've spoiled him now. He likes the first class, business class experience on the trains. It's just school holidays, isn't it? That's the only thing that, yeah. it, that's, unless that's, you're like that, quite a bit that, flexible. That is true. That, I'm a bit naughty with them, actually. Yeah. What do you think is the future of overnight rail journeys because I thought it was something that was growing and growing but recently I heard that in Europe they've actually cut back on a couple of key routes which I thought was really disappointing in fact I might have heard it from you on your website or Twitter or something what have they cut back on and why do you think that is well of course there's an organic reason in that when you could do journeys like London to uh, Paris to Amsterdam in three hours 20 minutes or Paris Geneva in three hours 10 minutes you don't need a sleeper train so these sleeper trains have, have understandably disappeared but there's also a political element where sleeper trains that actually cannot be replaced by high-speed trains the journey is just too long have disappeared because the economics are difficult you carry fewer passengers per coach in a sleeper train you only get to use the train set for one single trip per night instead of running them up and down all day like you do with a high-speed train. You've got budget airline competition so you need to charge low prices to compete with that and it's proved more difficult and some companies like the French and the Germans have thrown in the towel and said we're not going to do it anymore apart from perhaps one or two socially necessary services but there is a bright light because the Austrians believe in night trains, they think they can run them and so far they seem to be proving everyone wrong and them right. They are running a night jet network, that's what they're calling it, taking over some of the German, the ones that the Germans have stopped running. 
like Vienna to Rome or Vienna to Dusseldorf and Hamburg to Zurich and Berlin to Zurich. They're expanding. They're about to introduce a Vienna-Berlin night train. And I'm certainly rooting for them in making a success and expanding their service. They've got brand new trains on order with uh, sleeping cars with ensuite, shower and toilet. As of the Caledonian sleeper, because I interviewed Kirsty Walk a few weeks ago and she was telling me about the new carriages there, which sounds great. Uh, and also another one I want to do in the UK is from London to Cornwall. Apparently there's an overnight train, is there? There is indeed, and they just refurbished that train. It's a lovely way to go. The staff on that train are an absolute gem. Leave London just, cl- just before midnight into Cornwall, almost at Land's End, you know, down in Penzance at 8 o'clock next morning. It's a great way to travel and something special about that train. And that drive is hell as well. You know, you think you're going OK from, you know, down to Cornwall and then suddenly the roads get narrower and everything. And that the, the train is lovely. It goes along the coast, doesn't it? Along in Devon and Tidmouth, is it? Tidmouth? Tidmouth, yeah. And Dawlish, along Dawlish. the seawall. It's a lovely train. I mean, that's Beautiful. the only trouble. You've got to decide whether you're going to do the sleeper or the day train. Oh, yes, you miss um, the views. Yeah, and they've but it got, gets you there. They've got something called Pullman Dining on the daytime train. Some of the daytime trains. And I have to say, the food is absolutely excellent. White tablecloths, proper cutlery, fine wine. And I I had a meal coming back from Cornwall just a few weeks ago with a sunny day and along the seawall at Dawlish. And to be honest, I don't think there's any rail travel finer anywhere. Yeah, I agree. It is a a beautiful line, especially if the the weather's good as well. I'll ask you what's next for you in a minute, but I've done a few great train journeys, one from Istanbul to London and then a couple of different ones when I was living in Amsterdam, between Amsterdam and Germany and back again and those. And also an overnight one from Malaga to Barcelona, which was actually back then, it was 14 hours. It was quite long, but it was lovely going through the cliffs just as you come out of Malaga and the lakes and really, really fabulous views. The next big train journey I want to do is from London down to Malaga where I spend a lot of time. What do you think is the best way of doing that? Bear in mind, I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Well, the most direct way of doing it is Eurostar to Paris, two hours, 20 minutes, then go Paris to Barcelona, six hours, 20 minutes on one of the high-speed TGVs. And that's a nice run because it takes you down the Rhone Valley um, through lots of vineyards, takes you past some chateau, takes you over some lakes on a causeway with flamingos eating in the shallows. It takes you through the, around the southern end of the Pyrenees on the high-speed line with great views of Mount Canigou, one of the tallest mountains in the south of the Pyrenees, uh, and that will get you to Barcelona in the evening. Stay overnight and then take a direct train from Barcelona to Malaga next day. It takes about five hours, 20 minutes on the direct train. Or have a morning in Barcelona and catch the afternoon one. That'll be better. Have a lie-in. Is there still a train hotel? There used to be one from Paris to Madrid, and I'm not yeah, sure if there that isn't, goes unfortunately. anymore. The, yeah. the, the TGVs have taken over from the train hotels. Uh, I guess because of the speed, like you said, because of the practicality. It has, but it's, mm. it's still quite a long journey. So I think those are, those are routes where we'd quite like to get our train hotels, our sleeper trains back. Yes, definitely. What's next for you? What's next for the men in well, I'm, I'm hoping that I've got a way of trying out the new Hong Kong to Beijing high-speed train. Now, this is an incredible train. It leaves in the morning, arrives the same day. It averages something like 160 miles an hour start to stop over 1,500 miles. I did the journey back in 91. It was a night, a day, and a night, and I had to change trains in Guangzhou to reach Hong Kong. That's how much it's changed, and that's the scale of the investment that's going on in China at the moment in high-speed rail. When you were starting out this website, clearly you couldn't envisage what was going to develop, and this is this is now your full-time job. How does how does that feel to be able to make this your full-time, travelling the world on trains, to make, make that your full-time work? Well, this is fantastic. Instead of getting up in the morning thinking I need to catch the morning train to go into commuting into London, I think, what am I going to do on the site today? What am I going to investigate? What bit of the site am I going to improve? And also, it means I can, I can travel. I've got 
got the time to do a bit of travelling, if I, if I can spend the time away from the family, and then I'm taking photographs and data and looking up all the little things that would make the journey better, like finding out if there's a good restaurant where you can have a meal waiting for your sleeper train, like finding if there's a good bar somewhere to wait between trains in Zurich, that sort of thing. And then building them into the site and trying to explain this to people to make their journey not only affordable and understandable, but actually to give them the little tips, the right side of the train to sit on, scenery to look out for. For example, I've just, they've just started a new train between Venice and Ljubljana, or rather Trieste and Ljubljana. So I started researching that, and guess what? Prosecco is a place. Now, I, I, <laughs> I hadn't researched that before. I mean, I like a glass of Prosecco, who doesn't? There is a place called Prosecco, that's where Prosecco came, and it's got a railway station, and this train goes through. Non-stop, unfortunately, and there's also a, a viaduct with a bit of history to it, a demolished viaduct, where a train goes right the way through a valley, and I thought, this is taking a long way around this valley hadn't they got the money for the viaduct well it turns out they had but it got well actually it got slightly flattened courtesy of the usaf in world war ii but you find all this all these bits of information out and you can put these snippets into i can put it into the website to try and help people get the most out of the journey because it isn't just about getting from a to b i might have said this before it's the journey I didn't know that about Prosecco and I'm going to pretend I did next time I speak to my friends and I'm drinking a glass of Prosecco because I like it a bit too. It's, it's only exploded, hasn't it, in the last few years, Prosecco. It was in Italy before and now it's, you know, it's everywhere. So any last words of wisdom about train travel and how we can all do it that little bit better? Well, the only thing I keep saying to people who want to travel around, particularly in Europe, it's we've got cheap fares and you can do it really cheaply if you book the right ticket from the right website. And the right website is usually the train operator website for that specific journey. That's the only trick, knowing which website to use. But if you do know where to look, and that's what my site is really about, telling you where, you don't buy tickets on seat 61, you buy it from the right website for the journey, that's what I explain. And with fares like Paris to Amsterdam from 35 euros, and Paris to Milan for 29 euros, and Milan to Rome for 29 euros, you can travel around really affordably, you can make it happen. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Making it happen. And my last question for you is um, about music, because I always think that music and travel always go hand in hand, because lots of people listen to music, they have the time to listen to music when they're travelling, and also helps cement memories. So if you could choose one song that reminds you of a place or time in travel, a memorable time doesn't have to be good could be bad doesn't have to be a great song what would that song be i was driving across the states with my family in a 31 foot rv and we thought we'd divert into winslow because we live near winslow in buckinghamshire so we live near the original one let's see what this one is only when we got there did we discover that the song lyrics by the eagles standing on a corner in winslow arizona they have a corner where the song lyrics are painted on the wall with a great big mural well of course we had to download the uh, eagles song uh, take it easy and that became our theme tune for the rest of the drive across the states that is a great theme tune for a drive across the states anything by the eagles is a great theme tune for a drive across the states thank you so much for coming on the big travel podcast you're welcome Mark, you've made me so determined to start looking for my next big train adventure. Such a wonderful insight into travelling the world by train. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up, we have paddleboarder Lizzie Carr and also food critic Giles Corrin.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.